Good day, Crime Talk aficionados. Guess who is working for free? Let me give you a hint. His initials are John Pryor. Did you forget to uh, grab the head from the freezer? I know, it happens all the time. Is that a severed hand in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? The Indiana Supreme Court heard argument in the Richard Allen case, you know, the guy accused of the Delphi murders. And uh, the judge in the uh, hearing for a new trial for Alec Murdoch set some ground rules. Not so good for Alec Murdoch. Brian Koberger's attorneys finally want something open to the public. We have an update for you on Nicole Kessinger. We have a dad of the year and then our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, Crime Talk aficionados. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below and hit that little bell for notifications. Now, today is January 18th, 2024, and we have a big show for you today. First, guess who is working for free? That's right, John Pryor. As you may recall, Chad Daybell's attorney will remain on the case after uh, District Judge Stephen Boyce denied his motion to withdraw. Now, Mr. Pryor filed this motion because he said he wasn't qualified to do a death penalty case and uh, that his client is broke and can no longer pay him. And uh, Mr. Pryor has been Chad Daybell's defense attorney since May of 2021, shortly after the grand jury indicted him along with his uh, wife. Uh, on charges of conspiracy to commit murder regarding the deaths of J.J. Vallow, Tylee Ryan, and, oh, that's right, Chad Daybell's wife, Tammy Daybell, along with a sundry of some other charges related to insurance fraud. But the gist of it is it's a homicide case. Now, had John Pryor stuck to the script of he wants to get paid, it's a hardship, he probably would have got off the case. But John Pryor, the ego-getting to him, I think, is what happened was he told the judge, judge, is not about the money. Sure, I'm going to work the next two months for free, the next two months uh, for the trial, and I won't get paid for it. And he would like to get paid. Chad Daybell feels bad that he's not being able to uh, pay uh, John Pryor. He wants him to be paid for his services. And um, he's going to have to do this case all by himself. Now, Mr. Pryor goes into the fact that he's tried to get other attorneys to help him. He can't, doesn't have any money. And so that's a problem. Now, let me tell you, it's a death penalty case. Normally, in a death penalty case, you have at least two trial attorneys. You have your motion slash appellate person. You have your death penalty mitigation expert, along with a couple of investigators, not to mention all of the experts that you would need to properly defend a case. It sounds like a lot of that work hasn't been done. Now, they went into a closed hearing at some point, but Mr. Pryor said he really wasn't ready to get up today and give an opening statement in a death penalty case. But the judge said, denied, because he said it wasn't about the money. Well, you know when they say, what do I say? If it's When they say it's not about the money, then you know it's about the money. But his ego, I think, got in the way. And guess what? Now he is going to be doing the trial solo and for free. Pro bono. The most despised words in the legal community. Pro bono. Free. No good deed goes unpunished. Because you know as soon as this case 
is done and there's a conviction and he gets the death penalty, the first thing they're going to say is that John Pryor was unprepared, unqualified, and he's going to fall on a sword. And then Chad Bell gets to start all over again. Just something to think about, ladies and gentlemen. Next, hey, did you forget to get that head out of the freezer? Yes, you heard that correctly. Police in Grand Junction, Colorado, that's on the Western Slope, for those who aren't familiar with it. It's right on the uh, Western Slope, right next there to Utah, near Moab. Well, they're investigating a possible homicide. Well, what could it possibly be when you have a human head that was found in a deep freezer in a front yard there in Mesa County? Now, the Mesa County Sheriff's Office responded to a report of some suspicious incident taking place um, on January 12th. Apparently, the new homeowners were cleaning out some leftover belongings uh, when they purchased the house, and they discovered the head. That's right, a head, not a body, just a head, was inside a freezer. The police have since confirmed that there is a human head in the freezer, no body. The police also said that uh, they have no further information at this time, but they don't believe that there is ongoing risk to the community. Well, let's see. You have somebody that's dead because it's homicide by death of another. I doubt they decapitated themselves and put their head in a bag in the freezer. That's a homicide, death by another human being. I'm going to say, and you don't know who did it? Well, I'm going on a limb here, going to say that if someone willing to do it once, they're probably going to do it again. So I think there is some danger to the community. But heck, what do I know? And hey, but wait, there's more. Is that a severed hand in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? That's right. A lot of severed parts going on here in Colorado lately. A uh, man was caught carrying a severed hand inside his coat pocket while on the job last week as a security guard. And this is just one day after a uh, mutilated, another word for headless body, was found near a nearby creek. Now, please meet Mr. Solomon Martinez. He was arrested on January 11th on suspicion of first-degree murder in the death of a woman who is believed to be um, the owner of the hand that was in his pocket. Now, uh, Mr. Martinez allegedly admitted to hiring the woman as a prostitute just the day before, but hey, didn't murder her. Sure, her hand's in my pocket. Uh, You'll hear that the body was in the trunk. I cleaned out the blood, but you know how it is. Those, Those prostitutes, things get a little crazy, but I didn't kill her. Well, needless to say, police didn't uh, take a whole lot of time to focus on Mr. Martinez after his roommates discovered um, him covered in dirt and blood at a local car wash at about 5 a.m. two days before his arrest. Now, Mr. Martinez was allegedly using the pressure washer to clean some blood off of his hands and asked his roommates if they could give him a hand digging a 10-foot hole. That's according to the arrest affidavit, ladies and gentlemen. You can't make this stuff up. Hey, I know we're just both here at the uh, car wash at 5 a.m. cleaning blood off our hands and you're cleaning the car parts, uh, but um, could you help me dig a hole? That's normal, right? Anyway, the roommate uh, reportedly was at the car wash to work on his car, told the police that he asked to borrow some tools from Mr. Martinez. But Mr. Martinez refused to allow him to go to the trunk to get the tools. But Mr. Martinez allegedly then went to the trunk to get some tools, but he looked like he was struggling to move something big inside the trunk that he had to move to get the tools. Anyway, another witness apparently corroborated the roommate's report that he also heard Martinez make several comments about needing to dig a deep hole. Now, the witness, a friend of the security guard, also told police that he watched Mr. Martinez drag what appeared to be a woman's body down the uh, uh 
to a creek bed that same morning. No information as to whether the body had a head on it or not at the time. Anyway, Mr. Martinez first asked the friend to help dispose of the body and then apparently threatened him with a gun. But the friends refused because like, you know, a friend, like, oh, you pointing a gun at me? Really? Anyway, no harm to the friend. Ultimately, the body was decapitated and um, her head was found near the body. Apparently, the friend took a video at the scene to cover himself before covering the body with a blanket because he didn't know what else to do. So the police tracked down Mr. Martinez at a, a job that he holds as a security company. Coincidentally, just happened to be owned by a former Pueblo County Sheriff who had hired the killer just a couple of weeks before this whole decapitation thing. Anyway, when they made contact with Mr. Martinez, what did they find on his person? That's right, the human hand inside a plastic bag in his left chest pocket. Reportedly, Mr. Martinez admitted to carrying the uh, hand around for a couple of days because that's normal as well. Police also noticed that he had some cuts all over his hands and wrists, which Mr. Martinez said, oh, that's from my little chihuahua. And then he said it was from picking up rocks um, when he was picking up his dog. Oh, did I mention his car was also allegedly covered in blood? But then Mr. Martinez did what most people tried to do, pin it on somebody else. Sure, I got a dead prostitute decapitated in my trunk and it's not mine. It's my friend, the friend who filmed the body that I threatened to help me dig a hole with is the one that did it. He claimed that his friend borrowed his car, took his gun, and also took his phone with him. Now, when asked if police would find anything incriminated on his phone, Mr. Martinez said, quote, probably, I'm afraid to know, end quote. Needless to say, Mr. Martinez has been arrested on suspicion of first-degree murder and is being held at the Pueblo County Jail on a paltry $1 million cash-only bond. Got a lot of severed parts going on here, ladies and gentlemen. All right, next, the Indiana Supreme Court had a hearing today, and we brought it to you live. Frank the hardest working man in show business, not only brought you the uh, Michelle Traconis trial, he brought you the Indiana Supreme Court hearing, and he also brought you the Chad Day Bell hearing. So if you want to watch all of those, you can go click the link and watch them. We encourage you to do so. Anyway, so the uh, Indiana Supreme Court heard argument today regarding Richard Allen's request to reinstate his original defense team after they were removed from the case last fall. Now, Allen is obviously charged with the uh, 2017 killing of Abby Williams and Libby German in Delphi, Indiana, hence the name the Delphi Murders. The hearing took place today in the Indiana Supreme Court based upon motions filed by Allen's original attorneys trying to get reinstated on the case or whether they're not going to get reinstated and then they will ultimately have the two other counsel appointed. And um, Allen was originally scheduled to stand trial this month, but last year in October, the judge called an unexpected turn of events uh, back in October, and uh, Allen's defense team now lies with the uh, state's highest court to reinstate him. Allen claims that the court mistreated him after Special Judge Fran C. Gull, can't make that up, dismissed Bradley, Rossi, and Andrew Baldwin from his trial, who were appointed as his uh, court-appointed counsel after he was arrested in connection with the killing uh, back in 2022. Now, Allen's lawyers were uh, removed from the case following a leak of crime scene evidence online, and the judge referred to the attorney's conduct as grossly negligent as part of her reasoning for removing the original court-appointed counsel from the case. 
Now, ultimately, an employee of Baldwin and Rossi um, later came forward and admitted that he took the photos from the case without the permission of the attorneys and that they were not the ones who leaked them. Allen was then assigned new attorneys. Now, Gall said that uh, Baldwin and Rossi's removal from the case would benefit Allen because he needs to have competent attorneys. Well, Mark Lehman, the attorney for the attorneys, argued that uh, Mr. Gull, that Judge Gull, never had a hearing to voice her concern about the alleged negligence and alleged incompetence. She made up her mind, and um, there wasn't a whole lot of discussion on it. Well, the Chief Justice of the Indiana Supreme Court, Loretta Rush, acknowledged that Gull did not call a formal hearing to discuss her thinking and potential decision-making about uh, defense counsel, which she says would have been the right process to follow. But Rush wondered aloud if Gull had acted beyond her authority. However, the uh, counsel for the respondents, the state, argued that the judge did give Allen's former lawyers the right to continue with a trial, but they voluntarily stepped down. Well, Rush then kind of pushed back and questioned the transcript from the conversation between Gull and the lawyer, stating that Gull didn't really give the lawyers a whole lot of choice to continue. So Mr. Allen has requested three things from the Indiana Supreme Court. He wants the original attorneys, Baldwin and Rossi, reinstated, a new judge, and he wants his trial within the next 70 days. So given what we've heard thus far today, it doesn't seem like the judge is going to be disqualified from the case. Richard Allen probably has no right to reinstate his original attorneys, so the trial will more than likely move forward with Judge Gull and the new defense team. That trial is scheduled to begin in October of 2024. Now, it's speculation. Whenever you go to a Supreme Court or you watch a Supreme Court hearing, frankly, you sometimes just never know based upon the questions that are being asked. So therefore, we'll see what happens. That's my prediction. We'll see if I'm right. Anyway, another case, Alec Murdoch, new judge, laid out some ground rules. So the Colleton County Clerk of the Court, Becky Hill, will have to testify at an upcoming hearing on jury tampering that could determine whether convicted double murder Alec Murdoch will get a new trial. But the dismissed jurors, prosecutors, defense attorneys, and the former judge, Clifton Newman, who oversaw Murdoch's trial last winter, will not take the stand. Those two decisions in Murdoch's request for a new trial were made by Judge Jean Toll Tuesday morning during an initial hearing, two weeks before a full hearing at the Richland County Courthouse in downtown Columbia. Now, Toll is a former Chief Justice of the South Carolina Supreme Court and was appointed by the current Chief Justice of the South Carolina Supreme Court to oversee Murdoch's appeal. Now, the rulings appear to be a bit of a setback for Murdoch's defense team in their request for a new trial. During Tuesday's hearing, Toll established that the January 29th hearing will be tightly focused event and that Murdoch's attorney's questions for Hill will be narrowly tailored and not delve into numerous controversies surrounding Ms. Hill. Additionally, Neither prosecutors nor defense attorneys will examine the jurors who found Murdoch guilty. The court stated, quote, I will be doing the questioning of the jurors, noting that she will ask them about whether improper contact was made to them and whether it affected their verdict. The judge said all the jurors who found Murdoch guilty should be called to testify. Now, for the defense to succeed in their request for a new trial, they would need to show that there was not only improper contact, but that it affected a juror's verdict. That's the legal standard. 
Now, Mr. Murdoch's attorneys contend that uh, Ms. Hill made improper statements to some jurors during the trial, including before they began deliberations. Hill implied that uh, Alec Murdoch was guilty, allegedly, and pushed them to a speedy verdict. As you may recall, it was a six-week trial and a three-hour deliberation process. Now, the attorneys for Murdoch argued that that violated Murdoch's Sixth Amendment right to a fair trial. As part of narrowing these issues of what can be introduced at the hearing, the judge says she does not intend to let any dismissed juror or alternate juror testify because they didn't deliberate. Kind of makes sense. The judge said it will be the focus on the jurors that heard the case. Murdoch's attorneys argued that they need those other jurors because they were witnesses to corroborate allegations against Ms. Hill. The judge said, hey, corroboration is not something I need at this time. And she said that she believes she's perfectly capable of evaluating Ms. Hill's credibility. She also noted that the uh, proceedings in the upcoming hearing will be open to the public, but measures will be taken to ensure the privacy of the jurors who, in fact, testify. She stated, everything will be done in open court. Everything will be on the record. The judge stated that she expects to complete the question of the jurors in one day. She has asked the attorneys to submit detailed questions that they want asked, which she will use to craft her own questions. Now, the procedure is intended to establish the ground rules for the hearing. Like I said, for this hearing, it's going to take place uh, next week. And by telling the defense attorneys that they must prove improper contact was made with jurors and that the contact resulted in a biased juror, the judge has set a pretty high standard for Murdoch to get a new trial. The defense attorneys had hoped for a much lower standard that they would only need to prove that Hill made improper statements to one or more of the jurors to get a new trial. Now, as the court of the clerk overseeing things like the security and feeding of jurors, Hill was in close contact with the jurors throughout the process. And Murdoch's attorneys uh, also wanted to delve into issues surrounding Ms. Hill uh, that they say affect her credibility. Those are allegations of misconduct in office how much and whether she is involved in the wiretapping charges brought by the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division against her son, Jeff Hill, and her admitted plagiarism in her Inside Trial Memoir book published last August. But the judge said and made it quite clear that those matters won't be aired in any depth or possibly not at all at the upcoming hearing. She repeatedly noted that this is a very focused inquiry on this jury and what impact any contact had on the jury. She said that she is, the judge said that she was very, very reluctant to turn this hearing about juror contact into a wholesale exploration of every piece of conduct by the clerk. The um, judge told uh, Murdoch's attorneys when they started to go into the allegations that they believe the verdict in the trial would have uh, driven sales as it relates to her book sales about the trial. Um, the judge said, I hope that that's the last time you repeat that. The judge said, this is not a trial of Ms. Hill. Issues about motive and so forth are possible commission of crimes are not what this inquiry is about. It's about her contact with any juror and what she said. However, the judge has made no final decision on what she will allow defense attorneys to ask Ms. Hill at the hearing. Of course, Creighton Waters, the lead prosecutor for the state, is uh, confident that um, the independent sled investigation found no impact on the jury. Well, why even have a hearing then? If it's law enforcement said it, it must be true, I guess. Done. Anyway, Mr. Waters said that uh, uh, one juror had said that she felt pressured by other jurors to vote guilty. 
one of the most important issues discussed uh, Tuesday was um, how to maintain the confidentiality of the jury and that it's clear that she intends to have an open courtroom, but they are not going to allow the uh, broadcast to uh, show the faces of the jurors. They're also going to read number the jurors, uh, juror numbers, so that nobody could, in fact, be identified. So Mr. Murdoch will have to wait a little longer to see uh, whether his uh, two life sentences for killing his uh, wife and son back in 2021 will be reversed. But don't worry, even if it were, he's still serving 27 years in state prison for those financial crimes involving the theft of some $8 million from clients and friends and his law firm. Thus, uh, if Murdoch succeeds in overturning the convictions, he will still be in prison for a stretch. Obviously, we're going to bring that one to you. Next on the docket, Brian Koberg's attorneys finally want some stuff to get out there. Remember, Koberg's attorneys didn't want any press in the courtroom. They didn't want any press taking pictures of him. But now they want their motions unsealed that the judge sealed. Why? Because apparently they think that there is something there that they want the public to know. So the attorneys for Brian Koberger and Taylor specifically filed a motion with the court saying, hey, unseal the defendant's motion to reconsider the order denying the motion to dismiss the indictment and in the alternative for permission to appeal from the interlocutory uh, proceedings. Basically saying that, hey, we didn't want that sealed ever. I know the prosecution did, but the defense didn't. So therefore, unseal it. I think it's interesting. Maybe the prosecution or I find it interesting, perhaps the defense is finally getting wise that, hey, sometimes things out there in the uh, press could possibly help your client. Sometimes you got to be careful, but the reality of it is you may want a little bit of doubt and speculation getting out there. Just saying. All right, next on the docket, we haven't talked about her in a while. Nicole Kessinger, you know, the one, what is that guy she was related to for a brief period of time? Okay. Chris Watts. Yeah, yeah. The ultimate dad of the year, Chris Watts. And we're being facetious when we say that, so don't send the hate mail. All right, so um, the mistress, Nicole Kessinger, has changed her name and appearance and apparently is living in another part of the state in an attempt to distance herself. Now, obviously, Miss Kessinger was uh, thrust into the spotlight of the uh, Watts case where he strangled his... Uh, pregnant wife and two young daughters, buried his wife in a shallow grave and shoved the little girl's bodies into an oil field holding tank back in August of 2018. So more than five years later, apparently um, the notoriety is um, still there and she needs to disguise herself. So the messenger, I think it's a newspaper of some type, I'm not really sure, but I found it rather interesting, went to great lengths to apparently track her down. She's changed her name. And if you remember, I was watching that case, and I was there at the hearing. And apparently her attorney must have been watching Crime Talk and knew that I was going to be at the hearing. And guess what? They sealed it, and they changed the date, and they wouldn't let me know when it was. It was kind of, I was kind of hurt, to be honest with you. I knew the magistrate that it was in front of, and I don't know. I wasn't going to tell what her new name was. I was just going to want to observe the proceedings, a public proceeding that somehow the court thought the public had no right to know. I wasn't going to doxer or anything like that. I wasn't. I just wanted to see the proceedings. Anyway, according to this messenger organization, Kessinger is working for a new company and has been dating a man a few years younger than her. She's also cut her long hair and lives nearly an hour away from where the murders were committed. When the messenger people tried to contact her, somebody said, don't contact me again. When asked a follow-up question, the woman hung up and did not respond to text messages. 
Now, one of uh, Kessinger's family members apparently told the messenger that she is unlikely to speak publicly about the case. She doesn't want to talk about it, said the relative, according to the messenger, and she just wishes the whole thing would go away forever. Now, despite some suspicion that Kessinger knew more about the murders, authorities have insisted that she cooperated fully, and according to the district attorney, she was just another victim of Chris Watts in this particular case. The district attorney believes that he put her through absolute hell. Chris Watts pled guilty back in November 18 and is now serving five life sentences without the possibility of parole at the Dodge Correctional Institution in Wisconsin. And if you'd like to take a look at the video where he gave graphic detail how he strangled Shanann to death at their home back in August of 2018 and then loaded her lifeless body into the truck and drove it to a job site of the oil company where he worked, where he shoved his daughters into the little pipes and the little holes about this big. Just saying. Anyway, um, his motive allegedly was to uh, be with the woman that he loved, Nicole Kessinger. He stated, Mr. Uh, Watts stated that he was blinded by his love for her and that he had feelings for her more than a year after the murders. He told the FBI she was special and that he loved her. He apparently even sent her some love letters from prison, according to a cellmate that uh, the messenger had interviewed. So don't blame this messenger. I'm just giving you the news from the messenger. And we still didn't say what her new name was. So there you go. Next, another dad of the year contestant, not that anyone will ever top Chris Watts. But uh, this dad was captured on body cam showing an Oklahoma father after he allegedly drove drunk, crashed his car, left his 16-year-old daughter to die on the side of the road after she was thrown from the car, and left his other daughter and wife there to be injured as well. Uh, Elliot Binney is um, seen in the body cam footage slurring his words as officers try to speak to him about the death of his 16-year-old daughter, Shelby. Now, cops had earlier found the uh, young cheerleader lying on a uh, side of the road after a rollover accident near Bixby, Oklahoma. Apparently that's near Tulsa. Her mom and two siblings were also taken to the hospital. Now police realized Shelby had been ejected from the vehicle while Elliot, who'd left the scene, was the driver. She ultimately died, that's Shelby. Anyway, the video begins hours later uh, from a different department where they descend on um, the dad some 50 miles away from the scene. It was later learned that uh, cops in Bixby had already found an open bottle of vodka at the crash site, and then Mr. Binney admitted to drinking a gulp of it during a flat ride. He just happened to be going fast, and um, it was raining, and um, they also found, let's see, what else did they find? Oh, that's right, marijuana, pill bottles, pipes, several empty alcohol bottles in the suspect's trunk as well. In uh, the car crash, the officers found uh, an unsealed bottle of vodka next to the passenger door, according to the arrest warrant. And upon being questioned, he added, the uh, dad is, that uh, he eventually owned up to drinking at least just one swig of the ill-fated drive. And like I said, he was going about 70, mat passing multiple cars in a no-passing zone while it was raining. What could possibly go wrong? As the officers discussed whether the uh, uh, suspect should go back to Bigsby, given their jurisdiction. The officer's um, sporting dash cam videos goes to the cop car where uh, Mr. Binney is being uh, held to perform a quick interview. He left the scene on foot, apparently, and uh, once officers arrived, he was able to in a second vehicle, which he fled in, which the police were ultimately able to track down. Needless to say, he is being uh, charged 
with vehicular homicide. No, chief, you can't have naked pictures of my wife. A North Carolina police chief was fired after Snapchatting with an uh, employee's wife, who just happens to be his, the captain who works below the chief, um, asking the wife multiple times to send some nude pictures. Please meet Jonathan Clark. If he's uh, going to be a police chief in your neighborhood, you know, do, 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 check him out. Anyway, he's been terminated for uh, as the uh, police chief in Mars Hill uh, Police Department. The termination came after he messaged the wife of a police captain by the name of Chad Wilson, asking uh, the captain's wife to send uh, topless pictures. Uh, the captain's wife took screenshots of the uh, explicit requests, showed them to the city manager. Needless to say, the city manager opened an investigation. Of course, the police chief said lies, lies, damn lies, and then ultimately has been fired. Got to love the police that hold themselves to a higher standard. And finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Please meet this woman. She brought dog urine to comply with a court-ordered drug test that she had to take as a condition of her personal recognizance bond. Yes, meet Jessica Beatty. Like I said, Ms. Beatty had to comply with a urine test as a condition of her bond. She knew it was probably going to be dirty, so what does she do? That's right. She takes the dog urine from her aunt takes it attempting to do it. Well, that's a problem because guess what? They watch people pee when they do these tests. So ultimately, Miss Beatty gets caught, admits that it was the dog urine, unsure how it was bottled, but needless to say, she has now been uh, had her bond revoked and charged with tampering uh, with the test. I would have charged with attempting to influence a public official as well, but that's just me. Anyway, she's back in jail again. Now, We've mentioned this item before. It's called the Wizinator. And it is a completely synthetic urine kit with realistic prosthetic device. And when you buy the Wizinator from ALS, you are ordering directly from the manufacturer. Your order includes secure checkout, fast payment, fast shipping, discreet packaging, and guaranteed quality. Take a look at the Wizinator. It's unclear whether there's a female version of the Wizinator, but it does exist. Now, I'm not promoting it. <laughs> Okay, although I guess we could, but the reality of it is it's illegal to do that. And as an officer of the court, I would not order or ask anybody to do that. But this device, device has existed forever. I've had many a client over the years that bragged about using a Wizinator and then ultimately getting caught using the Wizinator. So, Ms. Beatty, you are our dumb criminal of the day. Congratulations, you made it. Thanks for watching, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next time. And remember, the Constitution matters.